Hello, everyone. You're listening to Future Chain, your source for thought leadership on machine learning and artificial intelligence in supply chain management. I'm your host, Greg Fawcett. I have worked with AI, ML, NLP, and predictive analytics applications in industries from advertising to telecom. We're going to talk about all these technologies and how they bring value to supply chain management. We're also going to talk about the overall evolution of supply chain management. Our guest today is Randall Papel. Randall is Vice President Purchasing, Supply Chain, and Business Development at Automotive Tier 1 Supplier, Shape Corporation. He was with General Motors for 36 years, responsible for purchasing all body exterior commodities, including steel and aluminum, with supply chain roles in Mexico, Singapore, and Shanghai. Welcome, Randall. Thanks, Greg. Glad to be with you. Terrific. I'm very interested in how you began working with Oakland Family Services. Tell me a little bit about that. Yeah, well, again, it's it's one of those you know, philosophies that I have is that, you know, being a, a successful career person, you need to try to give back. And in talking with some friends, uh, you know, Oakland Family Services came into the conversation, uh, did some research on it, really, really impressed with their focus on children. Uh, they have three main pillars, prevention, education, and treatment to, you know, help families and children grow and uh, nurture as families and as individuals, their their tagline is building brighter futures. And I, you know, I, it's it's just one of those causes that I think uh, is very important. Uh, I became involved in the board. They have a very uh, active board, a well a well run uh, operation, and it's just uh, it's good to be involved with someone who can who can help others. It's it's paying forward a little bit for all the great uh, success and the and the wonderful life that I've had. Terrific. Uh, early childhood services are so critical, so it's well-timed, and I imagine it's been particularly important uh, in the last year. Well, again, it's it's just amazing some of the work they've done. Obviously, when the world changed roughly a year ago, they had to go online for a while and then slowly opening up the, uh, the, the centers uh, based on COVID uh, safe uh, practices. And again, uh, I think you look back and and in the end, obviously a difficult year, but still helping families uh, build those better futures, which again is uh, important for everybody. Beautiful. And thanks for doing it. Let's turn to your business role and let's start with uh, Shape's role in the automotive supply chain. Yeah, as you, as you mentioned in the intro, uh, Shape is a tier one automotive supplier. We supply body and chassis components. Uh, we're based in Grand Haven, uh, Michigan, but we have facilities around the world in in Mexico, uh, the Czech Republic, and, and China and Japan. And we're uh, an industry leader in in crash management products. We supply aluminum, we supply steel, and we supply plastics components to the automotive industry. And we deal with both the chassis and the body organizations in in all of the leading OEMs. So. We're a uh, solution provider. When the OEM has a problem they want to get solved, they come to a company like Shape, and we work with them collaboratively to uh, to find solutions to the problems that can create win-win for us and the OEM. So we have a we have a very uh, valued place in the automotive industry that we're quite proud of, and uh, every day we try to find ways to uh, to um, help our customers uh, build better products. 
Excellent. Uh, map out the body exterior supply chain for the automotive industry. Yeah, well, when I was with GM, my last job, as you mentioned, was with body exterior. So I purchased basically everything on the outside of the car, the, the steel, the paint, the glass, the mirrors, the fascias, the lights, uh, the windshield wipers, the, the door handles, all that kind of stuff. And uh, again, in most of my roles in my career, I've had global global responsibility. So for my uh, my last position at GM, I was the global executive director in, in charge of all of those commodities for GM. So I spent a lot of time uh, obviously working uh, with our suppliers, but also with working with our various different joint ventures and manufacturing uh, locations around the world. And as you, again, you mentioned in your intro, I've, I've uh, had a fairly extensive global career. I've actually worked in seven countries. So I've, I've been around the world a lot and seen a lot of different operations, visited a lot of different suppliers and, and uh, uh, experienced a lot of great, uh, great things on a personal level. Incredible. How did GM supply chain evolve over your 30 plus year tenure there? Well, again, GM's gone through a lot of, a lot of changes, a lot of uh, centralization, when I first got there, we uh, we had a lot of different purchasing organizations somewhat autonomously, and then we sort of started centralizing and, and rationalizing those purchasing organizations. After a while, I became more involved in the broader definition of supply chain, uh, both materials management, logistics, supplier quality, supplier development. So I've touched almost uh, all the different aspects of uh, of supply chain purchasing. Uh, in my various different careers. I've, I've run commodity organizations. I've run country organizations. I've been in plants and I've run uh, regional organizations uh, during my time at GM. Let's get to those countries and uh, tell me what's unique about supply chains in Mexico. Yeah, well, Mexico, is, as obviously everybody knows, is an important part of the North American automotive industry. And, uh, you know, unique about Mexico may be that, you know, in many cases, uh, the suppliers in Mexico are uh, branches of global suppliers. And, and you can see Korean suppliers, you can you see U.S. suppliers, you can see Canadian suppliers, you can see uh, Japanese suppliers from basically all the major automotive centers around the world. They have operations in Mexico because of the criticality of Mexico to the North American supply chain, as well as to the global supply chain. On the other hand, over the years, some great Mexican companies have been developing, NEMAC, Linum, uh, NEMAC, uh, uh, Matalsa, uh, or a couple of vitro in the glass field that, that come to mind. So uh, Mexico is not just a transplant company. They have some very strong global suppliers that are centered in Mexico, and they've used the Mexican business to sort of um, create these companies that are, are now globally competitive. So it's an interesting mix between transplants from other countries and homegrown suppliers that uh, uh, are all together in Mexico. Now, as you've said, Mexico is, is really an extension of the North American supply chain, but Asia has obviously been a critical piece of the global supply chain, and you have extensive experience in, in Asia. Uh, talk to me about what's unique about uh, the supply chain uh, across Asian countries. Well, again, you know, one of the unique things uh, about Asia is that obviously there's so much demand in the local market, but most of the countries in Asia have also set themselves up to be export hubs. 
both for vehicles as well as for components. So it's a it's a mixture between supplying the local market where there's, you know, like in China, somewhat insatiable demand for both components and vehicles, yet they're still a major automotive exporter. So they're uh, they're uniquely positioned to be able to compete both on their home soil as well as to become a uh, a major supplier around the world. And you know, one of the things that excites me every day about the automotive industry is that it is a global supply chain, right? And that you can't really do business in automotive without talking global. There's very few suppliers that are just in one country uh, that are successful. To be a, to be a mega supplier, a large supplier for any of the OEMs, you generally have to have a global footprint, and that means learning how to do business in the various different countries and learning how to compete, uh, frankly, against uh, various different competitors uh, based on which country you're dealing with. So. For me, automotive is, is just absolutely exciting. And we all know that in automotive also, it's it's just in time, right? So we're always living on the knife's edge of supply because there's not a lot of inventory sitting around to cover up mistakes, which again, to me, uh, makes this uh, an exciting industry to compete in. Agreed. Uh, any other countries you want to mention uh, that you've, you've worked in, in terms of uh, the supply chain network? No, you know, again, they all have their little nuances, but again, in the end, uh, they're all pawns or they're, they're all players in the, the global automotive industry. So they all have a niche. Uh, many of them have strengths that they can take advantage of from an export standpoint. And frankly, many of them still have weaknesses where they don't have the indigenous industry that, that requires them to export because they don't have a homegrown uh, local industry. Now, a, a number of OEMs based in Asia have created a manufacturing base within the U.S. And with the change in, in administration, you know, there's been an increased focus on domestic supply chains. Uh, do you think global yeah. su- supply chains will hold? Well, again, the, the uh, another unique thing about the automotive industry, which I know you know and many of the listeners probably know is automotive is relatively unique in that we do single sourcing for almost everything. So, um, you know, it's difficult to change to some degree very quickly the supply chain because we we can't bounce from one supplier to another. So we're we're somewhat tied in. So, you know, again, as the world ebbs and flows and, you know, right now we're obviously in a unique circumstance that I don't think anyone 18 months ago would have thought that we would be in with this uh, pandemic. And then you add the semiconductor shortage to it. You add the the raw material issues that we're having as an industry. And, uh, you know, again, I, I think the automotive industry together is going to keep being global because I think by the diversity of the supply base, it actually helps us become stronger in, uh, in times of trouble. Mm-hmm. Obviously, I think there's going to be some migration towards more localization. Because I think, again, that it can reduce the size of the supply chain, but I don't think you're going to go to a wholly uh, domestic supply chain for any one country. Uh, it's just the development time, the development costs, and the, uh, the tooling costs and the validation is just so large in the automotive industry. I don't think you can afford, say, you produce a car in 14 countries, that you have 14 different suppliers producing that part. So I think it's it's economically uh, more difficult uh, given the nature of our business. But I think, again, uh, there'll be there'll be trends in that direction. I would call it more of an evolution than a revolution, though, in my opinion. 
So you don't see a risk of nationalization of the supply chain. Yeah, again, you know, again, governments come and go, right? So I mean, it's it's going to be difficult to do that because you, you, we can't just change on a dime in in the automotive industry. When you have three thousand parts that go into a vehicle, they all have to work together, and changing one or two of them may sound easy from a political standpoint, but it's much more difficult from a engineering and practical standpoint. Let's talk a little bit about operations and and process. Uh, What's your vision for continuous improvement, lean manufacturing, and Kaizen? Yeah, I I was very blessed early in my career. I actually spent probably, I guess, five years at the uh, Toyota joint venture with GM called Numi in uh, California, which uh, a bit of trivia now is actually the Tesla plant. Uh, So I spent a lot of time early in my career getting grounded in many of those techniques, so I'm I'm a firm believer in it. And you know, when you think about some of the produ- some of the principles, how can you argue with them? Right, reducing waste, level scheduling, uh, you know, just in time delivery. I mean, all of those concepts uh, just make such intuitive sense that that you know, again, every day in our activities, that you know, we need to continue to drive to achieve those objectives. And I think you know, one of the tricks is not tricks, but I guess one of the things that sets across great companies from other companies is how can they take those manufacturing principles and take them into the office and create lean uh, project management techniques and programs and more efficient uh, level scheduling of, of finance departments. And these concepts apply to everything we do, not just to the plant floor. And that's where I think separates some good companies from great companies is how can they instill those techniques not just on the factory floor, but in everything they do. And I was so lucky early in my career to be grounded in that. And, uh, you know, I, I use those techniques every day. And what do you see as the ROI from those methodologies? You know, roughly infinite, right? Because, I mean, in most cases, you're, you're taking cost out and you're increasing productivity. So you do that math, it comes out to essentially infinite. And, uh, again, it, the other beauty of it is it's done usually with, almost no capital. I mean, you're, you're just stopping to do things that don't add value and you're taking waste out of the system. And uh, you don't need big expensive uh, processes and, and machines to do that. It's, it's, it's somewhat common sense and getting down to the details, getting your hands dirty, walking on the plant floor, the whole concept of Genba or going out and seeing what's going on, not sitting at your desk having meetings, but going out and touching and talking to people and learning from the people who are really doing the job, how they can do it better with some assistance from uh, leadership. Now, you clearly need tools to do this. Um, so tell me about uh, the supply chain management solutions that you're using. Yeah, we're, we're, we operate on an a enterprise system called Plex, which is, a, again, probably fairly automotive-centric, uh, which gets us the information that we need, but it's it's not overly extravagant, but for the size of the company that we are, it, it's it's scalable to what we need. Uh, we don't need some of the bigger systems out there, and we continue to use uh, you know visual control that uh, uh, again is is relatively free to do our inventory management on the plant uh, plant floor. We use we lose a lot of uh, those types of techniques. So Plex Plex is the undercore of our our system. But essentially, we we just, you know, add on uh, either modules or or management processes that can 
get us what we need to do. And do you see uh, AI and ML components to that solution? Of course. I mean, that, that's an exciting thing that we're dealing with, right? I mean, the, the world of AI continues to astound me every day. And, you know, we're neophytes in, in the use of it at Shape, but we're looking at how we can get better at and better at that, both in terms of interpreting uh, data from our customers and from the industry and, you know, the stuff that's out there in terms of the market as well as how we can use the information from the factory for better. So we're just putting our toe in the water right there now, but we see some, obviously some uh, tremendous upsides once we can figure out how to uh, do it on a scalable manner for ourselves. And how do you evaluate the value of uh, solutions like Plex and the modules? Yeah, again, I guess it comes down to, you know, just the, the normal metrics, working capital, uh, labor hours. I mean, we, we use our, our, our same metrics and we just apply those to the techniques that we're using and try to determine how we can how we can improve our, our metrics. I think in the end, the goal is not to make the system more effective. The goal is to make the process more effective and the results more effective. And that's what we try to keep focused on. Now, you're clearly operating with a vast array of data. What's critical in terms of uh, moving to digitization? Yeah, again, I think, you know, in our environment, which is probably a harsher environment than a lot of facilities, because we do a lot of welding, we do a lot of machining and that kind of stuff. So we have to have uh, on-floor sensors and uh, uh, systems that are able to handle those environments, which, which obviously exist. And then we have to place them in the right uh, right locations to gather the data that we need. And like I said, that's an area that we're just dipping our toe into the water right now on. Excellent. How has the pandemic elevated supply chain as a business concept? Yeah, you know, this to me is one of the, you know, out of every crisis, something good comes out of it, right? And to me, the role of supply chain in many country, companies has been elevated just because of the uh, nature of what we've gone through in the last, uh, you know, 12 months, I guess, with the with the shutdown of the industry, shutdown of the world, frankly, there for a few months and then coming back and, uh, you know, the peak production levels that we reached throughout the year. Supply chain, I think, in most companies has been elevated in terms of access to the C-suite, uh, being part of the decision making on, uh, you know, what they're going to do, how to do it. And I, I hope and I expect that that will be a lasting uh, change in the industry, that supply chain really has a, a seat at the table uh, in the C-suites of most large companies now. And uh, even look beyond, you know, some of the manufacturing stuff, you look at vaccine distribution, right? To some degree, mm-hmm. that's, an, that's a supply chain issue, right? How do we manage the demand? How do we gather the uh, data about where the production is and how do we get it out to where the the users need it? It's somewhat of a huge supply chain puzzle that we're, that the, the country's and the, frankly, the world's trying to figure out right now. So again, it's uh, to me, it's exciting being a supply chain professional for all these years uh, to actually see, you know, the stature and the level of, uh, of recognition of the, uh, the uh, profession continuing to rise here. Now, the automotive industry is clearly critical to the U.S. economy. Yeah. Um, what's what's your your vision going forward in terms of a bounce back for the industry and an impact on the overall economy? Yeah, you know, again, I think uh, you know, again, it, the the 
bounce back of the industry, I think, has relatively occurred. Mm-hmm. I mean, obviously, the you know the semiconductor right issue right now is is uh, a short term you know issue that we're that we're working through. But again, it, it's all going to be based on I you know the the U.S. Economy is fed by the automotive industry, and then the automotive industry is fed by the U.S. economy, right? So I think right now, from a demand standpoint, we're see, still seeing very strong demand, which uh, is good. And as long as that continues, then I think the automotive industry can continue to be a, a prime driver, especially as we start pivoting the uh, the industry from uh, you know an internal combustion engine industry into an electric vehicle industry. There's there's a tremendous amount of needs of capital here in the uh, short and medium term to to reinvent the vehicles, both at the OEM level as well at a large larger tier one suppliers. And the way to generate that capital is to keep uh, production strong on the current products so that we can invest in the newer products. And for those newer products, for electrification and a move towards uh, autonomy, uh, what do you see as critical policy initiatives that can impact uh, both uh, industries? Well, again, you know, maybe, you know, electrical, again, I think, uh, you know, the policy industries are obviously the, the, uh, the, uh, the rules around uh, uh, greenhouse gases and, and mileage uh, per gallon and all that kind of stuff. And, uh, you know, again, it, as administrations come and go, those will probably be be changed, but I think clearly we're on the path of a more electric future. And some countries are leading, and some countries are probably going to be fast followers. I think on autonomous, it's a little bit more difficult to determine, you know, where the policymakers are going to go because with autonomous, when you don't have a driver, there's a lot of other issues that go in. I mean, who owns the car? Who owns the responsibility if a if a crash occurs? all of those types of things. So, you know, I think the trend we're seeing in autonomous right now is that every vehicle that's made has slightly more uh, autonomous features to it. Uh, getting to a completely autonomous vehicle, I think, is going to require the, the policymakers at some point to make some decisions that, you know, again, are, are difficult sometimes for policymakers to make. And what's Shape's role going to be in uh, these, these new markets? Yeah, well, again, our the types of products we provide are, are still going to probably be similar crash management, uh, uh, structural parts. Uh, obviously, the, the role of those parts may change slightly. The whole concept of battery trays now uh, is, is just taking the industry by storm. So we're, we're become a, becoming a player in those. Uh, the core business that we do, roll forming, aluminum extrusion, plastic injection molding, uh, composite uh, pultrusion. Uh, you know, probably is not going to change a lot, but what the look and the shape and the function of our parts probably will change. But I think it's all still going to be around the, the core principles of crash management and, and structural components. Uh, uh, but how those are used in the car are obviously going to evolve as the, as the designs change in the future. Well, terrific, Randall. This has been a, a very stimulating conversation. Thank you. Thank you. And thank you, listeners. Please visit your favorite podcast platform and give us a review and subscribe. We're building a resource for you. Email us at info at with your feedback, suggestions on guests, and questions. Until next time.
Thank you.